Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creatives along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. Okay, so we are actually coming your way with a special bonus episode. And before we get into it, I just want to make a couple quick announcements. I want to direct your attention to both Darlene and Kibi, who have special announcements on the way. We will be sure to post those on our socials. And then also Kenya, Kenya Robinson, who has been a guest on the show and also who created this season's podcast cover art. She has created a new podcast called Two Piece and a Biscuit. So be sure to subscribe to that. I'll also include that information in the socials. And without further ado, let's get into this bonus episode. Now, I want to make a point of clarification on Steph's part two episode. I mentioned that she is the first guest to come on the podcast for two times. Now, that's actually two times in one season. You know, we did the artist way together and we did a check in right in the beginning when season four started. And then we just recently had our follow-up check-in in last week's episode. But you know what I realized? Actually, this guest that's coming on this bonus episode, she is actually the first guest to have appeared on the podcast twice in two different seasons. She was actually featured in season one on episode three when she and Equa Masangi joined us to talk about the web series, All My Friends Are Married, written by Mercedes Brazier Thurman. So without further ado, we have Andrea Coleman joining us again. Andrea is an actor. She is a comedian. She is a stand-up comedian. She is, well, you know, you'll have to listen to see what else she now has added to her repertoire. But I hope you enjoyed the episode. Here is Andrea Coleman. We have Andrea Coleman visiting us today. And what I'm really excited about that I don't think that you realize. Are you ready? Okay, big news. Andrea, you are the first guest who has been on the podcast two times. Oh my God. I remember this. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is so fun. I know it was like 2000 BC, right? It was so long ago. (laughs) I remember. Girl, I remember. So Andrea was on the episode. Oh, and actually, oh my gosh, I'm going to tell you right now. You were on season one. Okay, episode three with director, filmmaker, Equa Masangi. Amazing. Oh, my God. She's fantastic. She's fantastic. As are you. Thank you. As are you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, the last time that you were up here, so Andrea is an actor. She is a comedian. She is a stand-up comedian because it's two different things. And <laughs> she is a lawyer. And she just told me now she's a healer. So we're going to dive all in. Now, the last time that you were on here, which was in 2017, we had you on here talking about All My Friends Are Married. It was a web series. Amazing web series. 
amazing web series. We'll put the information in the show notes and you are the title character. And do you want to, you want to talk about that project, especially five years out? Like, what do you think about that project? How do you describe that project today? I think it's an an incredible project just because of, first of all, the people behind the project, Equa, and then Haria as a producer, and then the whole cast and crew. The whole cast, yes, and crew. It was just so funny, so diverse. And then Mercedes, the writer, fantastic. Like I remember the first time I read the first script and I was like, how did I, did I write something and forget about it? Like I really felt like, Mercedes captured this very unique, specific voice that was very relatable, so relatable that I was like, I felt like she got inside my head or I ghost wrote it and then (laughs) something like that. I really felt like it spoke to me. Like, I remember there was like a a gem in the rockers reference. I was like, I thought I was the only one (laughs) who watched that show, that cartoon. And so I just thought it was fantastic. It's it's really well-written, so funny go watch it. Yes. And it is available on YouTube, right? You can watch the whole series. I wonder, I know that the first episode is available and I'm not positive. I mean, I've, I've seen all the episodes. I don't know how they're available, but Bettina will put it up there in the show notes. Yes, it will be in the show notes for sure. Okay, so now you just reminded me again. And now this, actually, this is how I met you. You did not write All My Friends Are Married, but you are a writer and you are a phenomenal writer. I met you in Ella Thiers writing class and you were like a full-blown writer. You had written some stuff and like features. And you had written this feature about the strings instrument. (laughs) What's the name of that? Yes, yeah, violin. Violet, it's called Stealing the Strad. It was my, the first, I think it was sort of, I don't know if I want to call it the first feature I wrote, but I feel like it was the first feature that was properly formatted that I wrote. Wait, I love that. <laughs> properly formatted. You know, it's so funny. It is definitely the, the script that reminds me that doing your homework will get you there. So like Ayla is a fantastic screenwriting teacher And what she would make everybody do, I mean, make everybody do whatever, but she would strongly suggest that you do a free write every day, like just write for 10 minutes every day. And it was late. It was like 1130 PM. And I was like, Oh God, I haven't done my 10 minute free write yet. Oh God. I just took out, I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to set my timer and do it. And so that feature script came from that free write, that 10 minute free write. Like I, I wrote something in the 10 minutes. I typed it up, brought it to class. I felt like I was done. I was like, okay, I did it. And Ayla was like, no, you have to tell us what's going to happen with these characters. It's a romantic comedy about a woman who got rejected from Juilliard to go to their graduate program. And she has a Stradivarius violin. It's called Stealing the Strad. And Strad is short for Stradivarius violin. Anyway, this burglar breaks into her apartment to steal the Stradivarius because they're very expensive violins. And she has tried to kill herself because she didn't get into school. And so he has to decide, am I going to save this random girl's life that I just broke into her apartment? Or am I going to steal this violin? He calls 911 and saves her life. And then that's how they meet and are off to the races, as they say. So, but that, the idea came to me because my next door neighbor's apartment got broken into. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, it just put it, the idea into my head of people breaking into my apartment and 
that's where the idea came from. Breaking in for love. <laughs> or money. Because <laughs> this money. man was breaking in for money. He was breaking in for money, but then was struck by her. And then he's like, now, oh, wait, I love that you turned that, like, what would have been like a horror or like <laughs> a crime story into like a love story. Me too. I like doing that. I feel like, yeah, I love rom-coms. Andrea, wait, and I love that because that's so you. That's so you too. Like, you know what I mean? Just like, you know, I love it's like the element of surprise. It's like, oh, I wasn't really expecting that. <laughs> but that's what makes it so unique, right? That's what makes your work so unique. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was really fun to write. It was like a, a bit of a, a marathon, but I had a lot of support. I, a last class met weekly. And so I wrote it over the course of, I don't even know, a couple months being in the class. And then, yeah. So you wrote that in 10-minute increments. Is that what you're telling us? It started in a 10-minute free write. And then after I brought it to class and everybody loved it so much, then I was like, okay, well, let me get into these characters and see. And so then I started writing from inspiration. So, And there was a guy in the class named Cameron, and he and I would have writing dates. So Ayla is big on like the people from the class meeting outside of class have writing dates. And so Cameron and I would have writing dates and then I'd write alone in my apartment as well. And so there's a little bit of Cameron in the lead male character and which I hadn't totally realized, but then my writing teacher was like, yeah, and Andrea clearly was inspired by Cameron. And I was like, oh my God, I was, but then I was embarrassed because I'm like, oh my gosh, but like (laughs) the characters fall in love. (laughs) Yes. But Cameron is, was such a sweet guy. And so, yeah, he definitely inspired the script. Oh, I love it. Okay, so where is this script now? Like, what what are we doing with it? It's sitting in my apartment, Bettina. You know, I so it, I submitted it to Independent Feature Project, IFP. So I submitted it to IFP because Ayla said, this is good. You should submit it to IFP. And I was like, uh, I don't know if it's that good. But I submitted it and I got in. I think it was one of... I don't know, 10 scripts that got into IFP. Wow. One of 10 scripts? Yeah, and IFP is now called Gotham. Anyway, got into IFP. I got to meet with a bunch of other writers. I got to kind of shop the script around to some production companies and producers in New York. And there were two sets of producers that were interested, and we talked about it. But ultimately, it didn't feel right to give the green light, and it didn't end up actually going anywhere. So. I think at the time, I just was thinking that I would sell the script or I also wanted to act in it. But now it's been, oh gosh, it's probably been like 15 years since I wrote that first script. And so now I'm like, I think I'd probably be more interested in directing it than acting in it. I feel, who knows? But right, it's just sitting there. No, no, no. You should definitely act in it still. And you're a producer, so you could produce it. Girl, and you're a lawyer, girl. You got the money for it. Listen, you're a one-stop shop. You could get this thing done, girl. You can get this movie made. I suppose. It's, making a movie is a lot of work. Yes, it is. And for you to say that, I'm like, hmm, okay. So my, my movie-making goals. <laughs> okay? Because for you to say that, and you are pretty productive, miss. I am productive, but I'm overextended. I think it would feel more manageable if I took a couple jobs off my table. Because I, I think, you know, anything is possible when you have, like, you partner with your friends and connect with your network. Like, it would be possible if I wasn't a full-time 
lawyer, then I could do it. Yes. Let's get into that. So you've been a lawyer. You've been lawyering this whole time. You know, when we were in the writing class, you also acted in a short film called No More that was written by your boo, Andy, in the background. By my boo. He wasn't my boo at the time. He was not your boo at the time, but that's a whole love story in itself. Totally. Andy was also in this writing class and was super shy, super talented as well, but very, very low key. And Andrea, I don't know, Andrea just brought him out of his shell. He was like submitting work, producing work, like creating work. You know, we acted in it together no more, along with Lodric Collins, who was also featured in season one and is now on the Oval. Remember all of this? Isn't this crazy? All of this? I do. We filmed in, well, now I live in the apartment that we filmed in with Andrew and- In Red Hook. Red Hook, Brooklyn, girl. Yeah, so tell us about that. Tell tell them how that came to be, girl. Finding work and love all in the same place at the same time. So I was in the class with Andrew, but he was going to have another woman play the lead role. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be cool about it. I'm going to be cool about it. And he was like, yeah, can you just... He wanted me to read the role for, I think, the audition or the read-through or something because she wasn't available. And in the back of my mind, I was like, something going to happen to this girl. Because this part is mine. And I didn't, I just want to make it clear, I didn't do nothing to her. But by the time it came to shoot, she was no longer available. And so he was like, okay. Not, 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 no, no admission, no crime admissions on the podcast. Is this, no, you shouldn't be worried, right? Okay. No, nothing. No, it was a scheduling thing. There was, no, there was not like she fell down a flight of stairs. Oh, okay. Oh, scheduling. Okay. She didn't, she didn't just disappear, did she? Okay. <laughs> Listen, I know these gigs are hard to come by. You get it, get in where you fit in. I get it. I, I kind of get it. You're hilarious. This is why I want you on the show. So I ended up playing the part, but Andrew and I had had writing dates, but we never had any kind of romantic anything. We just would meet every week. And then we filmed the movie, totally professional. And then after the movie wrapped, I reached out to him just to say, you know, thank you for having me in the movie. And I had a really good time. And then it was on that phone call that he was like, oh, well, would you like to kind of get together and hang out? Now, you know how, you know how he is. He didn't say, I would like to take you on a date. I have a romantic interest in you. He didn't say anything like that. Uh, wait, I don't think anyone is saying it like that, quite like that. <laughs> but I, think- I wish they would, though. I love that was very direct. It's like, okay, I know what you want. I know what you're here for. I know what's going on. I'm not confused. That was very clear. But direct. I do feel like most of the time, guys will let you know that their interest in hanging out is romantic. But Andrew's communication, it was unclear, you know, because we had been in class together for a year. We made a movie together. We had writing dates. So we had a lot of hanging out that wasn't romantic. So him asking to hang out again, I was like... Like usual? Like the usual? <laughs> yeah. And so we had several hanging outs where I was like, what is this? And then 4th of July, he invited himself. I mean, <laughs> it sounds rude, but whatever. He invited himself to my place to watch the fireworks. And this is when I was living in Queens. <laughs> so we were on my rooftop watching the fireworks. And then he kissed me. And I was like, okay. This is romantic. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm definitely much more focused on my professional career than I am on anything else. I'm like, okay, I know that we're together and that's solid and we're good, but like, what are we going to do about my career? And by we, I mean me. 
<laughs> okay, and let's talk about that a little bit more because I find that when I'm talking to a lot of my artist friends, right, we're trying to figure out how to balance or try to figure out how to keep continuing on with our creative dreams, but then also making sure that we're paying attention to like what's going on in our personal lives. Like for instance, the women we're, we're like, Oh, you know, I'm saying, wait, this is not me. My, my friends are thinking like, Oh, okay. But if I want to have a child, like, okay, I need to figure out the timeline for that or, you know, whatever. So, but I've never heard anyone say, oh no, that this personal is important to me, but I'm laser focused on the career. So how did you get to that? And I'm, I admire the fact that you were so honest and (laughs) you're so honest about it. And it's very different than a lot of what I hear. I think the reason I feel solid about the romantic part is because, you know, Andrew and I've been together for over a decade. And so I feel very, comfortable in my relationship and I'm like okay I feel good about that I mean we definitely have our experiences of challenges and conflict and conflict resolution just like anybody else but I've just always been somebody who's cared very much about my career and I think if I was single and wanted to be in a relationship then I would be laser focused on being in a relationship but because that area feels where I want it to be, then I'm like, okay, great. Let's also focus. Like, I really, what am I doing with my life? Yes. I totally get that. I relate to that because I have also been someone that I really want my career dreams to come to fruition first. So in my mind, I was always like, okay, now mind you, I was definitely like, you know, I was, you know, been in relationships before, but I've also been very kind of ambitious and I, I really want my dreams to come together. And then I was like, okay, and then I'll focus on the family stuff. Now, many years have been racking up. So I'm like, oh, wait, what's what's happening? <laughs> it's kind of gotten a little bit away from me a little bit. And I'm like, okay. But like I was telling my friend Steph, who was on this season, episode one, and she's going to be on another, like a bookend at the end as well. As I was telling her, I guess where I am, right, or where, where we are is exactly where we're supposed to be because if it were not, we wouldn't be where we are. So I'm like, I'm just going to trust the process and trust the journey and be like, okay, God, I hope you're up there listening because right now it does sound like you're hearing everybody else's. I get it. You know what I mean? You can do all things, but I understand that. I got to be patient, wait my turn in line, but I just want to make sure that you didn't forget about me. You know what I'm saying? But he, he's not forgotten. Yeah. I understand people say that there's realities to having a kid. Like that's something that Andrew and I have talked about, like having a child. And so that's something that we have like low key been working on as it were. But I feel like in us trying to have a child, I've had a lot of awareness about health problems that I've had. And so I've been really working on that and changing my diet and like just really working on my relationship to my spirituality and like just all the things. And so I have to say also, I'm not, I really love kids. Part of me would like to have a kid, but part of me is also, I'm trusting like that if I don't have a kid, then that must not be what I'm supposed to be doing in this lifetime. Now, would you be open to adoption or other means, whether that's donor egg, donor sperm? We don't need your your health business. I like having these conversations with artists because we've been doing this for a while and like, and we're getting older (laughs) and it's like, oh, well, now there's other things, other topics for us to discuss, you know, and to, and to think about in our journey. Where I am right now is 
I'm going to do what I'm doing, quote unquote, naturally. And if it happens, then I'm supposed to have a kid. And if it doesn't happen, then it must not mean that I'm supposed to have a kid. Because I've talked to people, like I've, I've gone to a specialist to find out, oh, like, okay, like, how's my health? Like, can I have a child and all this stuff? And I think a lot of it is like automatically because of my age, she's like, well, we got to do X, Y, and Z because of how old you are. I'm not buying into that for myself. For me, if I'm supposed to have a child, then it's going to have to happen the quote unquote natural way. And at this moment, I don't feel called to do anything extra. Okay. And you said that you, this now this was a new thing, you know, that you're doing now is that you are a Reiki healer. So is, did this whole journey lead you to that? It did. And so I'm anemic and I have fibroids. And so I've had two fibroid surgeries and I got the fibroids came back again for the third time. And they are, they were really large which meant that my, when I was on my period, my periods would be really heavy. I would have to, I was like almost like hemorrhaging blood. Sorry to get too graphic. And I would have to wear like a Depends diaper during my period. And then my blood levels got so low that there just wasn't enough blood to carry oxygen to my heart and my brain. And so I was having, I almost like passed out on the stairs and so then I had to start going to the hospital every couple months to get iron infusions just so that my blood levels would be, they wouldn't ever get like normal, but they would get closer to normal after the infusions. Oh my gosh. I was doing that for a while and I was like, this is not, I, I don't, you know, I think the reason why I'm having this much blood loss is because of the fibroids and Nobody's really able to tell me how to get rid of them other than to do another surgery, which I think will again just make it, it'll they'll just come back again. And so it led me down a path of being willing to try non Western, unconventional ways to heal it just because nobody was giving me an answer other than have another surgery. I basically was like, let me find other black women who have had fibroids and manage to get rid of them naturally. And so, luckily, there's a lot of black women online who have managed to shrink their fibroids and get rid of them naturally without surgery. And I was listening to all of them and there's some similar things that they're saying and they're all kind of saying to address your stress level and to address your relationship with your mother and your female line and then to look at your diet. And so I started doing all of those things. I have had to drastically changed my diet, which I was really heartbroken about, but the, my fibroids are shrinking. Like they are smaller since I've started doing this. And then during one of the treatments I was having, and by treatments, I mean like kind of forcing myself to go for like, there's this thing called Mayan abdominal massages, which are really good for fibroids. And then just like massages in general. And then just like working on my relationship with the feminine, like with my mother And so during like one of these massage experiences, I got divine communication, like intuition, like you should become a Reiki master. And I was like, what? You know, like I come from very traditional Baptist background from Virginia. And so I was like Reiki, but you know, Andrew's mom is a Reiki master. And and then another one of my girlfriends from back in the day is a Reiki master. So when I first heard about Reiki, it was like, 15 years ago and I was very judgmental. But when I heard about it recently, I was like, okay, I will do it. So then I found 
a teacher and it's been incredible. Like I'm learning how to heal other people, but then also healing myself at the same time. And then I'm also, yeah, took classes to be certified as a, as a shaman as well, a shamanic practitioner. So it's all related. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So let's go back. So you, you know, we're acting and no more. And then years later, then, you know, I see you online with like this whole comedy career, <laughs> this whole, this whole stand up comedian career. And I mean, it's, it's flourishing. It's like you were performing everywhere in Brooklyn and like regularly. And so I was like, no, wait, how, where did this come from? How is she doing this? And you're still working. You were still working and are still working as a full-time lawyer. So let us know how you are balancing all the things. And, you you know, because you were doing this full-time job and then you are very much a full-time creative. Yeah, well, so I started doing stand-up comedy before I took the New York Bar exam. So I've been doing stand-up for longer than I've been a lawyer. And I've kind of always been... Oh my, how did we not know this? Did, we didn't know this in class. Well, I think I definitely have taken breaks from doing the stand-up comedy life because it is a grind. So I think that was probably a section of time where I was like focusing more on the writing than the stand-up. In terms of balance, so I'm a senior trial attorney, I'm a litigator. And so I was definitely in court every day. If I wasn't in court, I was in the deposition. So there's a lot of free, I wouldn't say free time, but it's more like when you're waiting to argue a motion, you're sitting in the back of a courtroom waiting for your turn. And so some attorneys will read the paper or read a book and talk to other attorneys if the judge will allow it. But a lot of times the judge won't allow it. So you're sitting there with a notepad. You're not allowed to look at your phone usually. And so I'm writing. So I was like, okay, so I would write dialogue or I would write scenes or I would write jokes. For the most part, my job as a litigator was like nine to five, nine to six. I mean, if, if I had a trial the next day, then I was working all well into the night. So those nights I'm not doing writing or jokes or anything like that. But if it's like a motion and, you know, I've been practicing law for a really long time. So you kind of get to be very proficient at, okay, here are the facts of this. Here's the motion. I know how to argue this. I've argued similar motions like this a million times. And so you can just go into court and you know what's going on. So I would basically do the comedy on the evenings and on the weekends. But I will tell you, I mean, that was not sustainable. I mean, I did it for a very long time. I think I realized over the course of the pandemic, I'm like, oh, this is, I need a break. I'm tired. I had to reevaluate my relationship with a lot of groups I was in. Like I was in two sketch comedy groups at one time. Then I was also in a couple of playwriting groups and then doing like stand up. And the thing is, you, we talked about relationships earlier. I was doing all the things, saying yes to all the things. I I never saw Andrew. I barely saw him. Like I would see him in the morning and then at night. And sometimes I get home from a comedy show so late, he's already in bed. And so when the pandemic started and a lot of these opportunities to go places went away, I was it was kind of like, oh my gosh, like I'm home all the time with this person that I've been in a relationship with for a number of years, but I haven't talked to for very long. And I'm really happy to say like, oh, okay, we actually really like each other as people. <laughs> I'm glad our relationship has withstood the pandemic, but it was a lot. I was doing too much. 
Have you pulled back on the stand-up comedy right now? Are you in a period of pause? Because you have these new shows coming up. Well, so what I pulled back on was the sketch comedy. So I left two of my sketch comedy groups. Like I, right before, a few months before the pandemic, I got into a house team at UCB. And I was also in a sketch team at another theater. And during the pandemic, my sketch team was making like online content. So I was like, Andrea, you can't do that. So you can't do everything. So I left both of those sketch comedy teams. I was in a playwriting cohort at the American Theater. I left that and I pulled back from stand-up comedy. I really just pared down. For me, it was a lot of paring down and saying no, which was very hard for me to do. I was going to say, and so how do you feel about that now? Because you are very much into these groups and very much doing the work. So do you feel like you are enjoying the pullback or are you feeling like you need another creative outlet or you, you know, how are you feeling about it? I love the pullback, but also, Bettina, I'm taking a French class every week. I just finished doing like extensive training, you know, and Reiki and shamanism. And so that just ended, you know, (laughs) you know, I don't really feel connected to there having been much of a break, but now there's a little bit of a break, you know, and for the storytelling show that I work with two other performers, one thing that's helped with that is they asked me as a performer to be on their show. I did the first show that they ever did as a performer. Then they asked me to join the producing team. So then I was on the producing team. And then I realized, you know what? I can't do that. Like I'm starting to get back into my old ways. And so I pivoted to being more of a creative producer and a creative consultant. So you give us some advice, but you're not in the weeds. Is that what that means? Like you're kind of giving general. Absolutely. So I'm doing that. And then the other thing I'm doing is trying not to... <laughs> trying not to produce. I like, I just end up producing shows and I'm like, wait, this is, I don't like producing. How did I get here? How did I get here? Put the, put the light over there. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I'm trying to just be on other people's shows just as just a performer. I'm just, I'm just here to say the words and then I'm going to leave, you know, so I'm doing more of that. And then the short documentary about me, I was not, you know, I was in it, but that was, I was in that before I had made my decision to not do so much. But anyway, (laughs) but I am a little bit of a producer on that. And what you were talking about is this her brand of humor. Her brand of humor is the name of the documentary about me. And it was in the Bowery Film Festival. And the Bowery Film Festival had a couple locations where they were screening the films and DC TV was one of the locations. And so we had the screening there. I have to tell you, it was so fantastic. It was really fun. Like it was, it was an incredible festival. And then the audience was amazing. And then I had friends that came that surprised me. I didn't know they were coming. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And like, for me, I'm not somebody who dislikes, you know, watching themselves perform, but there's a different experience watching a movie in your living room than watching it in front of an audience of strangers and then like being in the whole movie experience. And on the big screen. Exactly. And when I was watching it in my living room, I'm like, eh, it's okay, I guess. And then, (laughs) 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 but, and I, and I was like, the cinematography is good. I mean, I, I had nothing to do with the cinematography. That was the director. But then when we watched it in the, 
and the big screen. I was like, oh my gosh, I really love this movie. <laughs> it's really good. Oh my gosh. Okay, so wait, does this documentary follow, it, tell us about it. It follows you and your comedy career. And so when was this shot then? Because, you know, you've been on the break now. So when was this, this shot? This was shot before the break, before the break, before the pandemic. Girl. Oh, before pre-pandemic. Okay. Exactly. Pre-pandemic. And it was funny, the director was a film student at the School of Visual Arts, a graduate film school student there. It's a great. Love SVA students, man. Always such great projects. Incredible. It was incredible. She reached out to me because she wanted to do a documentary on a comedian. And for whatever reason, comedians have a reputation as being difficult to do documentaries of because... I guess we're inconsistent and there's sometimes some alcohol and drug usage. And so she said to me, listen, I really wanted to do a documentary on a, on a stand-up comic, but the ones I've been following, there's some drug alcohol issues. I'm not allowed, you know, as a foreign exchange student, I'm not allowed to have anything like that in the movie. And they're not consistently showing up. Would you be willing to be in it? And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to take her out for a coffee and lovingly tell her no, just because I mean, I do talk about personal things on stage, but I'm in charge. You can curate it. I Exactly. I curate and I'm in charge of it. As opposed to having somebody following me around with a camera, I was like, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. This is, I'm not doing some reality TV show nonsense. Cut to, I'm now in like two reality <laughs> TV shows. Anyway, but she convinced me because she's so, she was so graceful, so elegant, so respectful, and so lovely. I was like, I can trust this girl. And she weighs like 80 pounds wet. So I was like, if I don't like what she's doing, I can definitely tackle her. (laughs) So I agreed. And I talked to Andrew about it. He's even more private than I am. And he was like, I don't know about this. And I was like, I think she'll be respectful. And she was. So there were a few times where she was like, can we come? (laughs) She was like, I would really love to film you. Like, I would like to be there when you wake up in the morning and film you like waking up in your morning routine. And I was like, that's not going to happen. Girl, that's a lot. Uh-uh. You know, we doing the same things. We, okay, I put a up in the pants on one leg at a time, just like you. I'll see you when I'm dressed. Right, when I have a go. bra on. Thank you, you much. That's a lot. Thank you much. Right. Of course, this is pre-pandemic. Now you can pay me to wear a bra. I can't stand them. I, I wear them to court. I wear them to court. Wait, yeah, but yes. That's about to court. it. That's about it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so the, the so the movie she follows me. It's it's a portrait for those of you who are in the screenwriting world. It's it's a portrait of me, I suppose. So it, to me, it doesn't feel like very like okay, she's trying to win this or get into that or make it to there. It's a portrait, and you get to see my mom. You get to hear my dad. Wait, she came to Virginia? No, my mom came up to New York, and so she came filmed there. Oh, I love it. During the course of it, I wrote a play about my dad. My dad was one of the first black kids to integrate his high school in Norfolk, Virginia. Bettina and I are from the same area. So he was one of the first to integrate his high school after Brown versus Board of Education. Two up, two down. Hello, 757. <laughs> Formerly <laughs> the 804. Okay, but 757 <laughs> now for years, but yes, okay. And so I wrote a play about his experience in high school. So she gets some of that in there. Oh my God, that's fantastic. 
how are we going to hear about your dad, your, the project you wrote about your dad? Are we then? I don't know. I mean, the thing with the, my dad's play, I love it. I've submitted it to a number of playwriting development projects because I did get into a development workshop with the play and that, and we had a beautiful reading. I would like to develop it a little bit more, but I've had not had any success. Got a lot of rejection letters about getting into more development. It's interesting. What I love about the play is like it's a predominantly black cast. I think there are two or three white characters, but it really, I feel like it really highlights and shines a light on relationships with men. The lead character is a young black boy, which is basically my dad and his relationship with his parents and his relationship with the members of his track team. I think it's a beautiful story. Like it's not my story, it's my dad's story. And I was on the phone with my dad trying to get jokes for a stand-up comedy show and in the midst of that conversation my dad was telling me about what it was like for him in high school and how it was really difficult for him at home his parents fought a lot and high school was like his haven he called high school his haven and I'm like the high school that was predominantly white where people didn't want you there that was your haven and he was like yeah like I was on the track team and we were it was an integrated track team and we were our own like posse of people. And my coach was like a father figure to me. And, you know, it was just this really beautiful time of my dad describing this is one of the best times of his life and how it saved him. You know, he wasn't going to go to college except for the fact that his track coach was like, you can go to college and help him get into college. And I'm sitting here on the back of the B61 bus, like crying, hearing my dad talk about high school. And I was like, daddy, somebody needs to write about your life. And then I was like, oh, I'm the only writer he knows. I guess I'm going to have to do the writing about his life. I felt very unskilled. Like I had done screenwriting, but I did not know how to write a play, even though I performed in a lot of plays, but I didn't know how to write a play. And I was I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> anyway, I wrote the play and then got into a development workshop. And I think the play is beautiful. So we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I've had people reach out about publishing it for high schools because the, most of the characters are high school age. So it would be beautiful for that. But I, I would like it to have a professional production before it goes to be produced at high schools. Okay. What's the name of this play? It's called Run. Run. I'm very excited to follow up with you on this. It sounds like such a beautiful piece of work. And just looking at you and hearing you talk about it, I can see the passion. And because I also know that you're such a great writer, I can only imagine how heartfelt it is. And just, I can't wait to hear and see it. I can't wait to see it too. I really wanted to get produced. It's a large, it's a large cast. I think that's the other challenge because, because that's what's needed. You know, I don't know, like there's represented my grandmother and my grandfather and her sister, you know, it's, it's very much in the spirit of like, you know, if you, if you did high school drama, then you know that like that inherit the wind, like those plays where there's like a larger cast, there's opportunities for a lot of people to perform. And so I, I just always visualize it on a stage that way. So we'll see. Oh my goodness. 
I need to do research, but I just saw a play called A Strange Loop. Very different. (laughs) Very different from what you were saying with your dad. The reason why I brought that up, as soon as I said, I was like, wait, they're very different plays. So the reason why I brought that up is because the playwright, Michael R. Jackson, he's a new playwright. And his play is all about his life and his family. So I'm wondering, I'm going to do a little research and see what his background was, because a lot of times, to your point, those plays, it's like they start off in workshops, right? So I wonder where his started off and then now it's on Broadway, you know? So I'm pretty sure this is his first piece of professionally, you know, produced work. So we'll look into that. So mind boggling on the case. I wanted to take that sidebar because I wanted to hear more about that. Back to the documentary. So I love that she's covering all of that. It sounds like she's getting all sides of you. I think so. And I didn't really think of it that way. But one of my stand-up comedy friends came to the screening and he was like, it was nice to see you in a different way. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know me so well. He's like, no, but I saw you and Andrew at home and I saw you and your mom and then I got to hear your dad. He's like, that's not the kind of, I didn't know those things about you. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Absolutely. So how are we going to be, what are the plans for this documentary? I'm looking, are we going to be able to see it? I can't wait to see this. I don't know. I mean, I did reach out. I have a relationship with the New York station of PBS. And so I've reached out to them about it. I know that they air documentaries. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's available, (laughs) but I haven't put it anywhere for anyone to see it, but I'm curious. It's funny. I feel like I have all of these things that are just kind of waiting for somebody to do something with. And I'm like, I've done everything I can think of to do (laughs) with all these things. They're just all percolating. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, keep us posted. Okay. And then we'll add it to the show notes. I love to say that. I love to say the things are going to be in the show notes. I don't know why it's so weird, but I just love saying that. <laughs> I love, I love so we will add it to the show it notes and we here. will let the listeners know because I know after hearing this, I know they're going to want to see this just as much as I do. So take us now to these shows that you're going to be doing in the new year. Oh, okay. So there's a show called Public Victories. So that's a storytelling show. And I love that show. It's the show that I'm on the creative team with two other producers. And it's in Park Slope, Brooklyn at Young Apples. And we typically have five or six storytellers. The show is about a victory. You tell the story of a win, either a big win or a small win, any size win, and celebrate it with the rest of the audience, with the rest of Brooklyn. And so I love that with the rest of Brooklyn, with all of Brooklyn. Wow. With all of Brooklyn. And so it's very heartwarming. We also have an opportunity for an audience member or two to come up on stage and tell a story. And one of my favorite shows was when an audience member came up and he talked about his struggles with mental health and how he had tried to kill himself a couple times and then luckily was not successful and now has like moved to New York and is pursuing improv comedy and just how much better his life is. And I was supposed to go up after him and I'm sitting there crying, like, like listening to his story and just being like, Oh my God. I like, I don't know this guy thinking like, I am so glad you're still alive. And then like the host is like, okay. And Andrea Coleman's coming to the stage. And I'm like, Oh God, like it's just such a beautiful show. 
And so I, and I didn't have to pretend that I wasn't affected. And I kind of was like wiping tears from my face saying like, I'm sorry, I am still really glad that this individual is still alive. And then getting to kind of transition into telling my victory. It's just a really beautiful show. And then in every show, we donate portions of the proceeds of the show to a community organization. It's a really beautiful vibe and it's fun. And so, yeah, sometimes you're laughing, sometimes you're crying. It's always just entertaining. It's the second Sunday of every month. So it'll be the second Sunday. And I'm trying to get Patina on the show. I think we have her booked for the February 2023 show. Second Sunday's at six. Yes. Yeah, y'all, I got a job, y'all. Yay! <laughs> I got a, I got a booking, y'all. Yes, I'm going to be in the February show. Mm-hmm. I'm excited and very nervous about it. Like, super nervous, but very excited as well. You're fantastic. You are a natural storyteller. You're fantastic. Like, you said something after a writing class, and it was, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember it, but I remember thinking it was hysterical and I repeated it all the time. Like I said it to Andrew all the time because it was so funny. You're just, you're a natural storyteller. You're going to be fantastic. You could tell the story of buying paper towels from the grocery store and you're going to have everybody rolling. It's just, you can't help but be entertaining and engaging and just wonderful. I think it's going to be fantastic. It's so funny you mentioned paper towels because I actually do have a paper towel story with my dear friend, Kia Lowe, who's actually going to be coming on the podcast. So it's funny you mentioned paper towels because I'm like, I should definitely tell that story. That now that is a good story, that one. <laughs> I believe. This is this what I'm saying. Oh, and we, I was going to say we pay all of our performers. Wait a minute now. It's free admission, but then we ask people to donate and tip and then we portion it out to the performers and the community organization. Let me tell you, okay, because my, not my new thing, but like this post-pandemic, I've been saying that like, I really want to get paid for like everything, like regardless, you know, but with like certain friends and people that I've worked with for a long time, it's like, I, you know, like I didn't even think that this was going to be paid and didn't, was not going to ask you. So the fact that it is, okay, now doctor, if Dr. Pofixit is listening to this, he would not be happy with the fact that I just said that I was going to do this show. I plan to do this show without getting getting paid because he thinks I need to get these finances together, which I do. Okay. But the point is, that is such a nice little cherry on the top. Thank you. I was I was prepared to do it for free. I'm happy to do it for free. I love what you said that. I mean, this that's the thing with a lot of like with stand-up comedy, you don't really get paid that often to be doing like a bar show or a little show. I mean, you really it's very rare, I think, but that is important to us. Plus, the show is like I said, it's a free show. And so we really want to encourage people like, listen, you came, audience members, you came, you had a wonderful time. We know you did because we heard you laughing. So come out of pocket a little bit. Support these people. They came all the way to Brooklyn or whatever. Yes. Okay. And so your first show is then, so what would that be if it is the second Sunday in January? Is that January 8th? That's January 8th of 2023 at six o'clock. And it's going to be at, you said it, Young Ethel's. In Park Slope. So, you know, we'll add that. (laughs) To, to the show notes. We'll put that to in the show, show notes. notes. In the show notes. Ah. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. So Andre, this is all very great and exciting stuff that's going on. So when you are thinking about the new year, is there anything else? I mean, you're doing, you already have so much going on and so much on the horizon. Is there anything else that you're thinking about, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, physically, what else are you looking forward to in the new year? Well, so as of today, I'm a, I'm about like 60 days into my high raw high fruit vegan meal plan for these fibroids. And so I would like to keep that going. To be honest with you, I'm I'm enjoying it, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm shocked to say. So I want to keep moving towards health. My fibroids are shrinking, but I want them to get even smaller. And then, you know, I've started seeing clients for the Reiki healing and the shamanic healing. And it's a new area for me, but it's just so incredible what I've been able to see for other people and bring back for other people. And so I really want to devote more time to that and having, having more sessions with people with that. Girl, we should talk. Cause I think I might want you to do a session on me. That's exciting. Yeah. It's really, cause I started an Instagram for it because I want it to be accessible. Cause I'm a very logical person. I'm a judgmental person and I have all the things. So when I first heard about a lot of this stuff, I'm like, chakras, like inner child, what are you talking about? This is nonsense. This is nonsense. But I'm like, I'm allow you to have your judgment, Andrea. You you are logical and that is a beautiful thing, but still move towards this and just investigate. And so I've had experiences, like for example, I was having a session with a woman and she was very gregarious and ta- and chatty and talkative. And so when I went into the session and I had a vision, I saw the vision of her inner child, her inner child was extremely shy, did not speak. I was like, is this her? Like, who is this? But I was like relating to this little girl, trying to get a sense of who she was. She was so shy. She wouldn't even talk to me or engage with me. And I had the intuition to color with her. So we started coloring on the ground. She got more comfortable with me. Then she showed me like, a boo-boo, like a band-aid on her knee. And I was like, okay. And so I saw a few other things. I come out of the the vision and then I'm talking to the woman because usually during the session of somebody will like fall asleep, which is fine because it's relaxing. And I woke her up and I'm like, hey, so let me tell you what I saw. And I'm a little hesitant because I'm like, I, I think this is wrong. But I said to her, I was like, so I saw your inner child she was very quiet. Like she did not speak to me at all. She was super shy. And she goes, that's exactly what I was like when I was a child. And I was like, really? Okay. So then it was her. And I said, and she showed me like a bandaid on her knee, like a boo-boo. She didn't tell me what it was about. And she goes, so that was because when I was young, my older brother pushed me down really hard and I hurt my knee and I still have a scar on my knee to this day. So that's what she was talking about. And I was like, okay. So I bring that up to say, while even having these visions and judging them, like this is nonsense, this is made up, this can't be true. But then when I talk to the person, it's affirmed that, yeah, no, that was what I was like. And that means that I had a session the other day where a woman, her inner child, I really love connecting to the inner children of people. And her little girl was painting and like, doing pottery. And this person is not an artist. Like this person was like 
in graduate school for something that's not related to art. Art, and I was like, "What is this?" So then I come out of the vision. I was like, "So she was painting and this," and she goes, "Oh my god!" Like when I was a little kid, I was I loved painting and I loved making sculptures, and I always buy paint sets, but I never use them. And I was like, "Okay, well, your inner child would really like you to be painting." So I'm saying that to say. You don't have to believe it whole cloth, but when you have the experience and the information that comes back, you'll find that it resonates and that there is a logic to it. And I can't argue with that. So, wow. Girl, I get all into that kind of stuff, all into chakras, inner (laughs) children. I'm like, yes. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying, I don't remember a whole lot. And I'm like dying to know, you know, before I call child protective services on my mama, I want to get to the bottom of it first so I can tell them exactly what went down. (laughs) I can't remember a thing. I'm like, I know she did something. She did it. (laughs) She did. (laughs) It sounds like you might need a soul retrieval. So sometimes when people can't remember things, it's because a piece of their soul kind of left during an experience that was intense for them or traumatic. And so shamans do soul retrievals. So I've done a couple of soul retrievals on people to kind of help them get pieces of their soul back that were lost during times of challenge and trauma. Psychologists call it disassociating. So like sometimes if somebody's in an experience that's too intense, they disassociate. But a shaman would call it, okay, well, your soul left your body and then your soul came back. But like, a piece of you didn't come back. And so shamans help people get those pieces back. And that you might need something like that. Now, is that similar to EDMR? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. I've never done that. I've never done EDMR. I do know people who have done it and have had incredible success with it, but I don't know enough about it to speak intelligently about whether or not they're the same. I can tell you what I just said. <laughs> okay. So so mind-boggling is on the case. We're going to add that. It's EMDR. Oh, wait, is it? Yeah, wait, EMDR. I was like, wait, something about that is not right. Yeah. <laughs> wait, okay, okay. So EMDR. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Andrea. <laughs> Keeping us honest, keeping us on top of it here at So Mind Boggling Journeys. Thank you. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. How great was this? And like, oh my gosh. Like, and t- tell the listeners where they can find you and continue to follow your journey. Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at Andrea Coleman Comedy or at Healing with Andrea Coleman. So one of the accounts obviously is for comedy. The other one is for the shaky and the shamanism. And then I also blog, like I write a lot on Medium. And so if you go to those Instagram pages, there'll be a link to my blog or you can go to my website, Andrea Coleman Comedy. And you know where else you're going to find this information? In the in the show notes, okay? So the show notes are going to be packed like Young Ethel's is going to be packed yeah. next year in 2023. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, Bettina. It's always so fun to see you. You're so fantastic. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Andrea again. I think one of my favorite things about this journey is reconnecting with other artists and taking a trip down memory lane and remembering our shared history and experiences. It just really 
warms my heart. And I just loved hearing all the developments. We'll be sure to check out those new shows that she has coming up at the new year. And it was just great. Like all the personal stuff that she shared. I mean, it was really beautiful. Thank you so much, Andrea. Uh, all, that just, I'm just so happy. My heart is just so full. And you know what else makes me so full and warms my heart? You guys, thank you so much for listening in. You guys, that is an official wrap on season four. Oh my goodness. We featured nine women artists this season. So catch up on any episodes that you may have missed. And then also, if you'll see in the show notes, we actually have a way for you to reach out to us and let us know if you have any questions, comments, concerns. We would also love to hear what you thought about this season. Love to hear who your favorite guests were, what your favorite topic was, and what you want to hear about on the new season and in the new year. So be sure to do that. You can also leave a comment on one of our social accounts. We are on Instagram and we are on Facebook. And so that would be just greatly appreciated. And if you are not already following us, please be sure to do so in whatever app that you choose. And also while you're there, go ahead and like, rate, and review. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your holiday season. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.